Hey everyone, it's Mike from Air Raid Attack Podcast. Let me talk to you for just one minute. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain to you in five simple steps. Number one, it's free. Number two, there is creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Number three, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Number four, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Number five, it's everything you need to make a podcast in in one place. So, how do you sign up? It's simple. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Enjoy the show. Hey, Coach, how you doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Just wanted to see if you can hear me, and if so, we are good to go. Yep, I can hear you just fine. Awesome. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome okay. to another episode of the Area Attack Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and as always, feel free to listen and subscribe on iTunes and Google. Give the podcast a listen on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and tune in to name a few. So on today's show, we have a special guest joining us to talk some football. He is actually joining us all the way from the great state of Alaska. He is the run game coordinator and offensive line coach for the West Anchorage High School and also a two-time Alaska State champion. Welcome to the show, Coach Zach Fleming. Coach, welcome. Michael, thanks for having me. My pleasure, and thank you for the time, uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule and sparing us a few minutes with us to talk some football. So, of course, the biggest question uh, and the biggest accusation, uh, transaction, I should say, signing of the offseason is Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. Are you personally buying into the hype? Yes, they've got great receivers with Mike Evans and Franklin Godwin, of course, with the addition of Gronk and, uh, of course, O.J. Howard. A decent running back uh, core with a decent defensive side of the ball. Should we consider Tampa Bay being a Super Bowl contending uh, team, even though with an aging Tom Brady? Yeah, I think anytime you have a team that you put together uh, that has that much talent, uh, and probably especially in the NFL, you always have a chance at you know going to going to the Super Bowl and winning it all. And so uh, you can't underestimate the experience of bringing in. Uh, a quarterback like Todd Brady and and what he brings to that that organization. Absolutely, and of course, we won't ever know probably the true reasoning behind of why Tom Brady left New England for Tampa Bay. If you personally, I know I I personally brought it into maybe a change of scenery. Of course, Florida. I believe if, if I'm not mistaken, I could be completely wrong. Um, there's no state taxes there, but you know I don't know on that one. So maybe he wanted all the money and never. Harlan loses it, but uh, needless to say, what's your personal thinking behind of why Tom Brady left New England for Tampa Bay? You know, sometimes it's it may be a different challenge. Um, there's some individuals that leave jobs uh, because they want just to get out of that comfort zone. Uh, you want to, you know, maybe a change of scenery. Uh, Florida's pretty warm, and there is no state tax, like you said, so. Uh, it'll be a new challenge for him and uh, something that I'm sure he's looking forward to. Absolutely. You know, he joins one of the probably premier divisions in regards to quarterbacks, of course, with Matt Ryan at Atlanta, of course, Drew Brees with New Orleans. Um, 
and of course uh, him being at Tampa Bay. So of course, it'd be one of the toughest divisions to win as a quarterback, and more so now with Tampa Bay adding the addition of Tom Brady uh, to the Bucks. And so we'll see. It's going to be an interesting year with Tampa Bay. We'll see exactly what Bruce Arians and company, his coaching staff, can do with a very talented um, team from top to bottom. Yeah, I think that you know the division is is going to be stacked, and so uh, it it breeds competition uh, inside of that division. Uh, and anytime you have that, it, it really helps to sharpen everybody uh, on every the little details you're doing, and uh, you need to bring your A game every week. Absolutely. And uh, Teddy Bridgewater was the other one I cannot think for the top of my head. Uh, Carolina, of course, he's a very very young and talented quarterback. It'll be interesting what he can do with Matt Rule, uh, the former Baylor head coach, uh, now the new head coach uh, with the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's it's going to be exciting. Uh, again, you know, Matt Rule is a guy that's known for building programs. Um, and so he's looking to turn around an organization there in Carolina and uh, lean on Teddy Bridgewater to help bring out that vision that, he, that he's bringing to that organization. Absolutely. And sticking with the NFL, uh, could we see San Francisco, could we see Kansas City, uh, both talented teams, uh, either one of them have a – "Quote unquote Super Bowl hanger, hangover, or could uh, Kansas City in particular? Could we see in this organization be the next um, New England for this upcoming decade? I think it's for sure possible. Uh, you know, you look at what Andy Reid and the success that he's had uh, throughout his NFL career, and um, you have a, a younger quarterback in Mahomes in his first contract, and so uh, I think all the the pieces are there." Um, you know, but anybody that's been coaching long enough knows that it's it's pretty hard to do to maintain that level of success for that long. And so uh, I think there's always a chance you can do it. And so as long as they keep drafting well and uh, keep the plan in place, then, you know, they're going to be highly competitive for years to come. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, me being a uh, diehard Denver Bronco fan, seeing Kansas City twice a year is it's tough, but uh, you know you can't. Again, you can't. Uh, you can't take anything away from what Kansas City and what Andy Reid has has done for the organization, and and of course, in the winning the Super Bowl last year, you would imagine for the most part, besides for the exception of probably Baltimore and maybe a New Orleans team, uh, I would imagine that they're in the top of uh, of the ranks to win uh, the ring again. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, you know. I, I think that division in the West is, is getting stronger. Um, and so it, it's going to be harder each and every year uh, when Kansas City sets that mark uh, for the other teams not to not to try to get there themselves. And so, you know, you saw what the plan that Denver had going through the draft, uh, which was pretty smart to surround uh, Drew Locke with a bunch of a good, talented uh, pieces that, were, that he can throw to. And so uh, you can see kind of the plans that are in place uh, to catch up to Kansas City in the West. Sticking with, uh, sticking with Denver uh, here for a second in the AFC West. <clears throat> of course, with Drew Locke going 4-1 and one last year, finishing out the season, of course, then presumably uh, made himself the starting quarterback, at least for this year. We'll see what years down the road what that, what that looks like. Do you think it's too early for Broncos country to uh, to jump on the Drew Locke bandwagon, or is it rightfully so to kind of to be excited for what this young kid can bring to the team and and the winning attitude that he has that moving forward. Well, uh, you know, as our defensive coordinator is also a Broncos fan, uh, I'm sure he'll hate me if I, if I say anything <laughs> bad or discouraging about it. But, um, 
No, I think, you know, anytime you have a, a guy going in the second year uh, in the system, because um, you, uh, you're, you should see the growth inside of that second year. Uh, and then you look at, you know, the targets they surrounded him with. Uh, and so really they're, they're doing a lot to set him up to succeed uh, inside of, inside of the offense. Uh, and then it, it, it's an organization that, that has a defensive-minded head coach, uh, but they're clearly building one side of the ball and then building the other side of the ball. And so there, there should be a balance this year um, to really help them out. Absolutely. And, you know, I've, I mentioned it a few times in the podcast and even to some buddies of mine, we'll always trash each other's team, but then go back to reality part. And, of course, Denver, uh, of the losses that they had last year, I believe four of them were by a field goal or less. And, you know, again, this team was 7-9 and nine just a year ago. And, and, you know, what should have, could have, is a whole different story, but at the same time, this team could easily uh, been a potential playoff team uh, last year. But we'll see exactly, of course, with the playoffs, um, adding a, an additional wire card. What's your thoughts? Uh, did the NFL uh, get it right, per se, or is it too many teams making, or should they have kept it with the original uh, format in regards to adding the additional uh, wire card team? I think the addition of two is probably pretty good. Uh, I don't, I don't think it messes with the system that much. You know, the NFL is unique in that you had 12 and now 14 out of the 32 that make it. And so um, it's not, you know, like half of the league is making the playoffs. It's, you know, it's a smaller percentage. And so it's going to add to the intrigue. Uh, there's going to be probably a little more um, race for that last wild card spot coming down to the end of the season. And, and now with only one team having a buy, uh, you know, that's going to build, you know, the importance of having that bye week uh, and not being a, a team that's playing, you know, three games to get to the Super Bowl or so. Absolutely. And, and <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, I actually, you know, again, I was all for it. I like it. Uh, I think it brings a little more excitement when you head into week uh, probably 14 through 17 as we head into the final weeks of the stretch of the season. I think it brings more excitement to to the league. And I think if you're at that one or two games behind that final spot, I think it gets more interesting uh, later on down the down the season. I think it probably would have if they didn't if they did not choose to expand the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and it, the way that the schedules are kind of set up is you're playing some division rivals down the, the end of the stretch. And so uh, there's that added uh, bonus of, you know, trying to win division titles, uh, but also just trying to get into that wild card situation. Because uh, once you're in the playoffs, that's when, you know, it's really a second season. You hit the reset button uh, and you really just focus on, you know, trying to get through that playoff push uh, the best you can. Just winning that one game at a time, even though it's, it's a lot of coaches speak, but um, you know, really, if you are looking ahead, it, it's going to be a world of hurt for you. So. Absolutely. And, um, and we'll see, I mean, again, uh, I think Denver and I'm Denver, I believe Pittsburgh and the Rams, I believe is what the two teams were had if the playoff system was a year ago. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to bring a great, uh, a great deal. Could you see coach, could you see the NFL? We always talk about London, can we see the NFL eventually be an international league, or do we think they will predominantly stay uh, within the states? Hey there, Coach. Hey, sorry about that. 
Nah, you're perfectly fine. Not a problem. I thought maybe when I dropped my uh, my work phone, I thought maybe I uh, hung up the call and and uh, exited out the the meeting. No, yeah, something happened. So I don't know. <laughs> All good. <laughs> um, do you think, Coach? Eventually, the NFL. We keep talking about London and uh, potential team to London. Do we one? Do we think we could ever see a team in London? If so. Will that eventually broaden the game internationally, or do we think that it's just going to stay within the states? You know, I think it's. Um, I think the international aspect is will probably eventually come. I don't know when it would be. Um, you know, a lot of the things that I hear is you know the Jacksonville franchise would eventually maybe move to London uh, with to England there through their owner, but I, I think internationally is is kind of the way to go. Um, I think when you expand too fast, uh, sometimes it, it gets away from you. Uh, so it's going to be one of those cautious wait and see uh, what what it's going to be like. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's good uh, internationally to do it. I just don't know uh, what timetable that would be on. Absolutely. And I think it would be kind of neat. Um, you know, again, some people I've talked with and, and even – interact with they're not for it but i think at least at least try even excuse me even even if it's in london at least try it and see what happens and go from there um again i'm sure we're talking years down the road it could be you know probably two three years but who knows Um, like you said no time frame no timetable of when or if this would even happen so we'll see uh when that time comes and and go from there yeah i I think you know one of the biggest concerns be the you know the the games would take care of themselves playing back and forth but how do you run an off season with mm-hmm. with scouting and scouts uh, you know how do you do the combine and you know doing your visits and so uh, I think the off season would get a little bit tricky being international with you know players that are probably located in California and you're trying to work them out are you flying to London are you are you creating a branch in out of the United States in order to run a scouting program so that would be interesting. Absolutely. I, I think it'd be quite a bit. It'd be a, a course, a puzzle to, to try to juggle with and, and move around. And of course, um, this year with 2020 being just a chaotic year, keeping it within the football realm, do you, and I still got my mixed feelings. I don't know about in regards to fans or fan list games. Do you think we'll see fans? Do you don't, well, do you not think we'll see fans? What's your prediction of what we will, what we should be expecting come uh, come September? Yeah, it's really hard. It's hard to predict. Um, you know, I, I think there's a smart way to do it, um, and I, you know, you got to truly believe that there's some smart people out there that are trying to work with solutions that are to get fans in the stadiums. Um, you know, it's a huge loss of revenue uh, for the teams and the league if there if there aren't fans. Um, and it, you know, you're playing in front of empty stadiums. And so, you know, eventually guys that played in their youth days played in front of, you know, just their family. So, um, you know, it's probably been a long time since they have <laughs> played in front of nobody, but um, they didn't know them personally. And so if that's the way it has to be for a year, then I, I think, you know, the survival of the game, uh, if you have to do it for a year, then, then that's what you do. Um, but, you know, it, it comes down to what is – what is smart uh, medically and uh, and then the, the acceptable level of risk uh, that fans are willing to take in order to go to a game. Absolutely. I think I read a tweet uh, when I was on my lunch break that 
uh, the, the, pretty much the question was, would, would you be willing to, to practically have your temperature taken, stuff like that, in order to get into the game, to watch a game? And I think it was 62% said they were, something to that degree. Uh, again, it's, you know, and you nailed it, it's, it's, it's hard to predict because, again, we're still looking at roughly two months out before preseason kicks off and, and anything could happen from here to, from now till then. So, again, uh, we'll just have to, it's, a, it's a waiting game on that one. Yeah, you know, I mean, even up here, we're experiencing. You know, I have practice in you know an hour, and we're gonna we're gonna take the temperature of every kid that comes through, and and they have to fill out a seven or five question uh, deal in order just to walk through the gates to go to practice. And they're doing that every day, and so uh, our guys are are willing to do it every single day uh, in order to get better. And so uh, I think there there is a, an appetite for it. Um, but it, it may not be the same appetite for everybody. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, I think I think that's I think the way you guys are doing it uh, is the best way to definitely do it, and and making sure your players and your staff, your coaching staff, of course, as well, uh, staying healthy during the during the pandemic. Switching uh, college football, LSU coming off one of the best seasons uh, any program has had in college football history. Uh, with the loss of the passing game coordinator, uh, Joe Brady, to the Carolina Panthers of the NFL, who pretty much installed uh, all of LSU's schemes just a year ago. Uh, of course, a lot of, losing a lot of talent to the NFL, Joe Burrow being one of them, uh, over 5,600 yards, 60 touchdowns, being the number one uh, pick overall to Cincinnati. Um, I know it's early. I haven't done my predictions of the college football season, uh, mainly of what because we don't know what they plan or plan – to do um, with the season right now, early, early pre. Let's long. Let's address the pre, long pre. Uh, what do you think uh, we could see potentially from LSU this year, uh, coming off of one of the best seasons in history of college football? Uh, I I think you're going to see LSU to continue to mature as an offense, and so that's that was kind of the the stigma that they had to deal with is that they had an old school offense uh, and the talented guys that went through that program that uh, maybe didn't feel like they could showcase everything they could do on a modern offense. And so uh, I think what you saw was when you put the, the student athlete in the right position uh, and you give them the chance to be special, then, uh, you know, really anything could happen. And so you have to let those guys have an opportunity uh, to be special. And so, you know, Coach Ogeron, I'm sure, is going to do everything he can to recreate that magic. Um, and it may not be, you know, this year, maybe two years. And so you have to remember Joe, Bur- Joe Burrow had, you know, two years in that system. Mm-hmm. He really saw his senior year make a big leap uh, with a different coaching staff. And so sometimes it's just finding those, those puzzle pieces that fit together, and that's when the magic happens. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And Ogeron, um, Coach Ed, you know, he – he spent his time, you know, across the board. I remember him at USC. I think spent some time at Mississippi. He done a phenomenal job at at LSU last year. And of course, during his time, even before then, um, going there, Oklahoma, um, very familiar, and I'm sure you are to an extent. Oklahoma, of course, Lincoln Riley has done an outstanding job at Oklahoma, taking over the head coaching position when Bob Stoops retired. I believe about almost three years ago, if not over three years. Uh, what should we? <clears throat> I don't know how much you've. Uh, watched Oklahoma, but with Oklahoma getting Spencer Rattler, um, presuming I would pres- presume that he would be the starter this year, um, with a young quarterback, of course, an improving defensive side, 
losing s- some weapons, uh, C.D. Lamb being one of them on the wide receiving core. Um, what do you want? I guess question one is what do we what should we expect from Oklahoma? Uh, should the expectations change or should they still continue to be in that playoff race? And then also um, with the addition of some quite quite a bit of five star recruits uh, coming to Norman here in the next year or two. Being Lincoln Riley as close as age as possible to these kids, kind of what do you think Lincoln Riley's telling these kids to to start coming to Oklahoma when Bob Stoops and even years past, um, Oklahoma just could not nail those big star recruits. Yeah, you know, I we only lived in Oklahoma for three years, and so we got to see it up close and personal in, uh, you know, 2015, 16, and 17. But I, I think he's doing now is – when you watch, you know, kind of the way that, that he builds the offense, because that's where, you know, he's from as an offense. Yep. Um, they really have done a great job of, of creating that uh, that counter scheme. And then uh, they put athletic quarterbacks in a position, uh, not that they're running all the time, uh, but they run at the right times. And so when you saw with Jalen Hurts, he was a different runner than Kyler Murray was, he was a different runner than Baker Mayfield was. And so, uh, they will they will tailor and fit that offense to the personnel that they have, and more specifically to the quarterback that that's taking snaps. And so, if it's Spencer Rattler, then you know you can bet that that he's going to build an offense that that builds upon what he's good at right now, and then in the next two to three years, uh, they're going to expand that uh, as he grows. And so, the the exciting thing comes when. You know, you're a recruit coming in, and you know you have a big time talent quarterback. Is that you want to go play with that guy? And so, uh, that is a natural recruiting tool for for players. And you see it at like Arizona State yep. uh, with Daniel down at Arizona State. There's a lot of guys signing on their Herm Edwards down there because they have an exciting quarterback and exciting system, and they have a high upside. And so, I think what Oklahoma has done is just that they have a high upside. Uh, Lincoln Riley puts those guys in the right position. They have a scheme that fits uh, the personnel that's there, and they're highly adaptable uh, to the guys that are in the building right now. Absolutely. And, you know, being a project, I remember watching um, the Sooners in the mid-'90s or when I was really young with my grandfather and, and my father and all that stuff. And, you know, it's it's amazing from not just from the team aspect, but, you know, stadium and, and exactly what, you know, Bob Stoops even did that when he was there, Oklahoma, um, bringing back the practically when Bob Stoops took over, uh, bringing back the magic and then Lincoln Riley uh, pretty much taking it to the next level. I think he's done a phenomenal job. And I would imagine that eventually he'll probably maybe, I should say maybe, take the leap to the NFL. But um, sticking with the Big 12 here for a few more minutes, um, the Big 12, of course, uh, Big 12 takes a lot of hits in regards to they don't play defense. Uh, they're known for their offensive side of the ball. Um, big time moments, per se, in the playoffs that Oklahoma hasn't happened yet. Um, with that being said, do you think the Big 12 eventually will get over that hump? or And then uh, second part, kind of away from the playing part of it, do you, could you see the Big 12 eventually – like I do, do you think the Big 12 eventually will just be non-existent? Uh, I, I do think the Big 12 will get over the hump. Um, I think you look at the teams that Oklahoma ran into in the playoffs, uh, those are not easy <laughs> games. And so, uh, you know, it, they ran into 
I believe, a tough Georgia team, an yep. Alabama team, and a Clemson team. So, like, you're looking at very hard games, uh, and when you're you're in those big time games, it's it's very small things that you know make that difference. And and for Oklahoma to show the the success to be there uh, in those successive years was is huge. And I think it's it's big for the Big Twelve uh, to kind of step up and create a system uh, where those elite teams, you know, there may be two or three teams buying for that playoff spot instead of just one, one or two. And so um, I think that the defense does take a knock, um, you know, but there's a lot of really smart offensive guys in that league too. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, you look at, you know, even what Texas did with changing out their staff, you know, they're, they're going to compete. They're going to do what they need to to compete with Oklahoma and, um, you know, TCU is one of the toughest defenses, even though, like, you know, they may not have it statistically, but when you talk to defensive or offensive coaches out of the Big 12, you know, TCU is a nightmare to face. And so, yep. So their their teams are in there, um, you know, but you may not face the same level of talent you do in the SEC. And that's just a matter of, you know, basically where we're at right now in college football. Hasn't always been that way, but it's, it is where we are right now. So uh, I would be optimistic that Oklahoma or you know, Texas or one of those top teams is going to get over the hump at some point. Uh, I think more than likely it would be Oklahoma. But um, And then I, I don't think the Big 12 goes away. I, you know, I think there's – when you look at how well-rounded that conference is overall, uh, you know, I I just don't see a conference that big going away uh, with that many programs that are associated with it just outside of football. And I know I re- you know, I get – quite a few tweets not me personally i just read them you know oklahoma of course ou fans it's always it always tends to happen when when ou loses a bowl game or ou loses a a game during the con or during the season or whatever the case may be and it's always brought up that they should leave the big 12 for the sec or the the big 10 or even presumably the big the the pac 12 and and so on and so forth and i'm like well let's kind of you know i'm hoping that big 12 eventually expands and we may we may see that we may not down the road but um, but again, the Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma, Texas, I think as long as you get those two together, I think the big 12 should be pretty, pretty safe and no disrespect to Baylor's and the Oklahoma States and TCU's. But, um, again, Oklahoma, Texas are pretty much, you know, the name of the, the name of the conference, so to speak. Yeah. You know, it's different when, you know, Texas has a longhorn network, they have their own network. And so, you know, they're, they're generating a, a lot of revenue off of one network. Uh, and then Oklahoma's. You look at how many different sports they're really good in. Um, oh yes, great basketball programs, great gymnastic programs, you know, baseball, and so um, overall, you know, it, it's really good. And I, I think in the Big Twelve, you just kind of fluctuate to the year it's going to be. You know, um, Rule did a great job at Baylor. You know, who's the next one? You know, you have Iowa State is really good. Mm-hmm. You know, those teams are coming and they're competitive and, and they're doing it. Um, you know, it's just you have a long story tradition with two powerhouse programs inside of that conference. Oh, absolutely. Matt Campbell, uh, Iowa State. I think Texas Tech will eventually uh, get back up in the ranks to, to at least competing. And I think uh, West Virginia will get there once. And I think Les Miles, you know, we, I know I don't mention about him much, and I don't think he, he gets much credit um, at Kansas because it's Kansas at football. But I think Les Miles could – could eventually get Kansas to where they're competing for bowl games. They may not be for Big 12 championships, but they could easily get to where they're competing for for bowl games. 
Yeah, I, I think when you look at, you know, how Les Miles is attacking the recruiting process, he's starting to pull kids, you know, even if you just look at Oklahoma, he's starting to pull kids out of the Tulsa yep. area. And so he's going into some areas that, you know, maybe they didn't recruit hard or, or whatever it is, but he's starting to pull some kids out of some big-time programs, um, which is going to make a big difference down the road for, for Kansas. Absolutely. I know don't want to hold you too much to your time because I know you got to get ready um, for some practices here today. Yeah, no worries. Um, some personal questions, not too personal, but uh, how long have you been coaching? Uh, so this is, I think, year 16. Uh, so I, I started in 2004. I was uh, I was in the military, or I'm still in the military, but I was going through a, an upgrade program, and I had a lot of downtime and wanted to get back. Uh, to the community and so uh, I started getting into coaching I coached in California for uh, from 2004 till 2012 uh, and then we came up here to Alaska from 2013 to 15 uh, which is where we won two state titles and then went down to Oklahoma uh, and I coached out at Bishop McGinnis uh, in 2016 and 17 and then back up here uh, going into my sixth year up here uh, out at West Anchorage so very nice. And Bishop McGinnis, I know them, you know, very well. And that's uh, – they got another amazing athletic program all top from top to bottom. Great great school, football programs top uh, – football programs top tier. And and uh, I know that their basketball – I remember watching them growing up as well. And they got great programs all around. Um, what's – is there any difference, so to speak, and if there is any, uh, is there any somewhat difference from Alaska football – it's the same football, but different scenario to an extent with the weather and all that. Any differences compared to uh, Alaska, let's say, to Florida, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma kind of coach, or is it all pretty much the same? Uh, so where we're at in Anchorage, um, you know, there's there's over 300,000 people in Anchorage. So we're a pretty – I mean, we're a pretty big city. Um, inside of the, the city of Anchorage is pretty competitive football. Um, I think the, the biggest knock on Alaska is that they just don't know who you play. Uh, so, right. um, you know, when you look at the total number of teams, there's not a tremendous amount of teams uh, that play football, but there's only 600,000 people in the entire state, and they're spread out, you know, bigger than the size of Texas. So um, it's a little wow. tough. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, so it's a little bit tough. Uh to, to relate to, you know, like Oklahoma when I was there, California, which has over a thousand high schools mm-hmm. in California. So um, the football is very competitive, though, inside of the large school division, which which we're in. Uh, and we have a we have a large uh, Polynesian community up here, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, and when you look at, you know, the guys that have come out of here. And so like last year, you know, I sent or we sent a kid down to UNLV on a full ride as an offensive lineman. Uh, wow. Alani Makahaley. And then you look at Brandon Peely out of USC, started in mm-hmm. Alaska, ended up moving down to Oregon. And then you look at, like, Cade Stevens, who played for us as a sophomore, and then moved down to Canvas, Washington, and he's going to USC. So those kids are up here. Uh, it's just sometimes it's hard for anybody to think about Division One athletes up in Alaska for football. Uh, for basketball, it's huge. There's a ton of basketball players that have come out of the state uh, for football. Different story, but I would say within the city of Anchorage, it's just as competitive as I've seen in most states. That's awesome, and and you know I always I watch a film. I can't exactly remember. I think it's closer to the 
to the Arctic, but I remember watching this film of, of football and it's practically, it was really interesting. And so, I, you know, of course, people always say, well, that's Alaska. Seems like, you know, makes Alaska sound like it's way out in two, three, seven thousand miles, <laughs> miles away. Yeah. So we don't, but, um, any advice, and, I, and this is from a buddy of mine, he sent to me making sure that I get on there. Any advice to uh, advice to anyone that is just starting into coaching as a professional, always wanted to, but doesn't know if they got it in them? My, uh, my biggest advice, and I, and I was probably in the same boat 2004, uh, is my first year I just volunteered. And so uh, I walked around uh, to the local high schools, uh, drove around, and just dropped off just informational, hey, this is who I am. This is – I'm kind of interested in getting into coaching. I don't know if it's something for me. Uh, and so the, the school that ended up calling me back uh, was was Wood High School, and they gave me my start. And I volunteered, and I was uh, tutored underneath uh, a position coach. And so I didn't have – I didn't have the responsibility of having a whole position group to myself or, you know, being a freshman coach my own for the first time. Uh, and so – you know, my, my advice would be if you can find a program that's going to let you volunteer and then if you can find somebody that marries up to something that you're comfortable coaching, uh, you know, that's a, probably a pretty good introduction year uh, into what coaching is. And um, it's, it's a lot different than you think uh, when you get into it just because time aspects. Um, and then, you know, the maturation process, at least for, for me, was – you know, I got into coaching because I loved football. Obviously, I love the, you know, the X's and O's part of it. Um, and now I'm into coaching because I love the, the relationship part of it, the connection part of it with the kids, um, you know, and the fact that I still talk to players. Or I got a, a card the other day from a kid at McGinnis uh, that just graduated thanking me for coaching. And so, you know, that's where I'm at now coaching-wise is, is building those relationships, fostering uh, young men of tomorrow. Whereas a young coach, I was like, I want to prove as much as I know. Um, and so I, I think, you know, if you get into it, you know, there's going to be in a great program, they're going to teach you how to be a great coach um, for the X's and O's and the execution piece. Um, but really the relationship piece is the one you, you can't replace uh, in life. So hopefully that answers the question. <laughs> I think it will. And, okay. and I, 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 I like that. And, you know, and, I guess that was leading up to the next one, which I'm sure the pros and cons, if there is a con, um, the pros and cons of coaching. And then also, um, okay, there we, also, there we go. I lost my note. Uh, also, then I guess the answer to the previous question was, in Alaska, how many uh, per the normal 10-game high school schedule are you guys able to find 10 uh, is there a full strength ten game schedule, or is it less, or do you have to go outside the state to to find some competition? So we play uh, eight game regular season, um, and that's not it's not necessarily based on the number of schools; it's based on the time of year. So um, this year, our first game is scheduled for August fourteenth, and so we start you know two to three weeks ahead of the rest of the country. Um, but we do that because we have to be done by the middle of October. Uh, because once the snow hits, it's not going away for six months. So, right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, you know, that's a, that's a fact of life. And so, um, and I, you know, I've coached in state title games where it's snowing and I've coached in state title games where it's, you know, like an ice storm. And so up here, and so it, you get the whole weather gamut, you know, there's been sunny days and there's been days that, you know, it's 
it's just two degrees above freezing and it's raining and it's, it's miserable. So, um, so you don't want to coach much later in October. Um, cause we have a, we have an indoor facility, but it's really not made, uh, to host a full playoff game for everybody in the state. Um, so, you know, we can fill out an eight game schedule just fine. Um, there are teams that choose to travel, uh, and a lot of that is privately funded. Um, and, you know, there, there's teams, uh, there's like South Anchorage, which went down and they played in Texas. They played in California. Um, I think they're, they're going back to California this year. Uh, there's another team on the east side that's going to go to Idaho. Uh, and so teams will venture out and go play teams just, just to kind of test and see what else is out there. Uh, but you can find the, the scheduling just fine uh, up here. And then for that, the pros and cons of coaching piece, you know, there's a lot of pros. Um, the relationship piece is the biggest one for me now. Um, the fact that I get to coach a young group of kids, and again, I'm the O-line coach, and so um, I love being the O-line coach because they're guys that come to work every single day, and um, you know they all think they're running backs, but they all play O-line, and so <laughs> you know we get to have that discussion. That's every so day. true. Oh yes. <laughs> so, uh, so that's why I love it. So you know. They, they're, they're going to be there and they're going to work their, their tails off uh, to be the best online than they can be. And, um, you know, the cons, the biggest con is time. And so, you know, we have, we put in two and a half, three hours during the season every single day. And so, you know, it's just a matter of give and take. Uh, you got to find the right times to, to be with your family and enjoy those times that you have. And because during the season, it's, it's a monster. So, you know, going straight from work to practice and coming home and then, you know, getting to spend an hour, you know, maybe or two with my son before I put him to bed. Uh, that's probably the toughest part of coaching season uh, is just the time aspect. There's just not enough time during the season to do everything in between breaking down film, you know, putting scouting reports together, uh, having coaches meetings, practice, you know, games on, on Fridays. You know, I get to the stadium probably around two o'clock as soon as school's out. And then I leave around 10 o'clock when the game's over. So, you know, Friday night's a solid eight hours for me. And so for, for every coach, uh, you know, that's just a, a normal, natural thing. And so when you get that time back on Saturdays or Sundays, you really got to enjoy it. Um, and so it, it goes back into a pro, but, you know, really that the only real con for me is the time. So everything else is a pro. Nice. And lastly, I know me personally, um, we just started as a, a, um, a league here. It's called Oklahoma Elite uh, Football League. It's an eight-man for now. It's an eight-man style uh, outdoor arena style league. Uh, eventually, we'll hopefully go to 11, but uh, of course, we'll down the road, they'll see what happens. I just took a O-line tight end position. Any advice um, in regards to that when they upstart a up team and moving down the uh, throughout the season? Uh, you know, probably, <laughs> uh, there's a, it's a loaded question. Um, from a, an O-line perspective, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a defensive back, outside linebacker coach by trade. And so, you know, I'm, I'm 5'7 and 185 pounds. So I'm not your typical O-line coach uh, when you think of – when you have that image in your mind. And so, right. Uh, so for me, you know, one of it the, – the biggest thing for me was my knowledge had to be solid. Um, and then I had, I had coached in – I was an offensive coordinator in California – we coached the zone system. And so we ran 
basically inside outside zone uh, and then just a couple a variation of, of gap scheme off of that so for me moving into the role that I had here is we were moving into more of a zone running aspect and so that's the reason I became the line coach and so for me it's you know kind of pick that that system and, and I don't know much about the league but um, you know offensive line play is is fairly mm. universal and fairly uh, it can be easy depending on what you're doing and so um, as much as many techniques as you can attribute and try to make them all the same you know whether you know if your block and your down block are going to be two different things and that that's okay if your first two steps of the base block and the down block can be the same then maybe it's a little bit easier for guys to master and so um the big thing that we do is is we try to simplify not only the scheme that we call, but the footwork and, and the hand placement to get there. Um, and then from there, we'll start adjusting what we need to do with guys in order to make them more successful. But that's one of the, the big, you know, I've learned going into my fourth year in online coach is just, you know, have the knowledge down and then have that, that foundation of, hey, this is, this is no kidding what we do. And so we're going to be really good at this. Uh, and this is how we're going to execute it. And this is the footwork and the hand placement to get there. And, um, so, you know, part of it is knowing your personnel. And so if you have, if you're going to run the ball and you know that you have guys up front that can move defensive linemen vertically into the linebackers, then maybe you're a zone team. If you have uh, offensive linemen that are really quick and they can move uh, defensive linemen laterally, get lateral displacement, uh, maybe you're more of a gap scheme. Um, or, you know, some type of outside zone team. And so just finding that, that niche for your guys uh, and then really perfecting that part of it and then just creating the, the change-ups off of that, uh, I think is the big thing for, you know, for a line guy. Very nice. And uh, <laughs> last but not least, if you have one, who's your favorite team both in college and in the NFL? Uh, yeah, so I do. <laughs> um I'm a Chicago Bears guy, and so obviously I love love the pain of being a Chicago Bears fan. <laughs> uh, I was no, I started as a Walter Payton fan, so very nice. And so just being a Chicago Bears fan is kind of maturated out of that out of being a Walter Payton fan. Um, and then I was born and raised in Reno, Nevada. So I'm a Nevada Wolfpack guy. Um, you know, they're out in the Mountain West, and it's a quiet, sleepy conference out there in the in the Mountain West that nobody talks about. But yep. Um, so, but, you know, Coach Norvell, who was out at Oklahoma for a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, is doing some things out there that I think are real positive uh, for that program. And so, but yeah, so I'm a Bears fan and a, and a Nevada Wolfpack fan. Very nice. And, and uh, Norvell, you know, he's done a phenomenal job. And I think he's going to turn that program. Uh, I think he's got that program in the right direction. Of course, the Bears get um, – who do you think is going to win a starting job? Uh, Mitch or uh, – or uh, Nick, uh, you know, I think <laughs> I, I think I think Mitch would start week one, and I think Foles is probably in by week two or three. Um, you know, he just they haven't. It it really is is tough when you draft a guy number two overall, um, and he's not the rock solid starting quarterback going into his fourth year. Not getting the fifth year option is a big tell on you know mm-hmm. what you're expecting out of him, and so. And I think he just admitted, you know, he hasn't lived up to that fifth-year option, uh, the right to get that. And so, you know, he's got a lot of work to do. 
but Foles is, is very familiar with Nagy and he's very familiar with the system. Uh, and so you're, you're not at a disadvantage if you're Mitch Trubisky, but you know, there's definitely competition in that room now, which I don't think there was before. And so, um, and you got a guy that's come in and he, you know, he's played in the Super Bowl and won it. And so he's not going to be phased by coming in and, and compete for that, for that job. And so I, you know, I think Nick Foles is the starting quarterback probably the majority of the season, but it may be Trubisky week one, but it wouldn't surprise me if Foles is in there week two or three. I absolutely agree with you. I think we're on the same page. I think, uh, I think Mitch starts week one, maybe depends on what happens week one, maybe week two, but uh, definitely no later than week three. I think Nick Foles uh, is by far the starting quarterback moving forward yeah. for the 2020 Bears. Yeah, well, Coach, I, so. I pre- truly appreciate you taking some time out of your day uh, coming on here. I know you are probably getting close to having some practice, getting to practice, and, and I'll let you uh, get ready for that. But as always, Coach Fleming, it's a pleasure having you on. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And I was uh, super stoked when I saw an Air Raid podcast pop up. And so uh, there's a ton of Air Raid guys out there. Oh, that, yes. <laughs> that are, you know, that'll talk talk ball all day long. And so uh, so it, it's a good thing. And you guys have some right there in your backyard down at Lot and Mac. Um, so there, there's some Air Raid guys down there that I'm sure would love to talk ball as well. Hey, I'll definitely uh, – I'll work my imagining and trying to get them on. And uh, yeah. as always, Coach, you're, you're more than welcome to, to come back on anytime. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you, Coach, and uh, we'll talk with you soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.